Hey friends, welcome back to the Rhythms Podcast. Uh, We're exploring some ordinary rhythms of life and how they create extraordinary opportunities for thriving lives, or as my friend Eugene Peterson once said, life and more life. I'm Paul Gaucher, and it's great to have you listening today. And uh, thanks to the guys in the band, Snarky Puppy. They're kind enough to let us use their amazing tune, What About Me, for the bumper music on this podcast. Got some permission to use that. You should uh, go to YouTube and uh, do a search for Snarky Puppy. I think every track they've ever recorded is also in video form, and those guys are bonkers. It's just such good music. I'm glad uh, that we can use it. This is episode nine, and I'm calling this one Present. And this is uh, part one of this, uh, which means, of course, there'll be a part two. We'll see where that goes. But present, as in being right here, right now, in this moment, in this place. Present, as in awakening, uh, noticing, showing up, Present, as in being in this moment, being aware, becoming available, uh, becoming uh, open to what this moment has to teach. And speaking of being present in this place, uh, a bit of an update on the sabbatical adventure. If you're just joining me, Nancy Lee and I are on a three-month journey, uh, during which we are stepping in, stepping back, and stepping forward, kind of a month in each of those. The uh, the end of the first leg of our journey has uh, come to an end. Um, we'd spent a month of stepping into the rhythm of life with our family in Charlottesville. And, you know, stepping in was appropriate. We stepped into a pace that began each morning at about 5.45 and went all day until about 8 at night. We uh, stepped into uh, a couple of cooking classes with our six-year-old granddaughter, Ruby Grace. Uh, We stepped into some skating with Ryan May, some roller skating. Uh, Stepped into changing a bunch of diapers. Uh, And for those of you who may be grandparents, you know that there's no job to whatever uh, for those who love granding. It was an amazing time, and it was really, really difficult to leave at the end of the month. But leave we did as we turned the page to February. Uh, in the first full week of February, let's just say we put on a few miles. Uh, Nancy Lee and I drove 745 miles from Charlottesville, Virginia to Chicago, Illinois. Then the next day, uh Uh, from Chi-Town to Minneapolis. And then we were at home for a couple of days in Burnsville. um, And then came more driving. Uh, Our first drive or our first day of driving west, we put on 715 miles from Burnsville to Miles City, Montana. And then we went 850 miles in one day from Miles City, Montana, all the way to Wenatchee, Washington. And then uh, 175 miles from Wenatchee, uh, Washington to Anacortes to catch the ferry into the San Juan Islands, where it's been storming to beat the band and snowing. My word, this is a winter wonderland. I grew up out here, and uh, I I cannot remember I cannot remember such um, remarkable snowfall in this part of the world. But anyway, we've arrived on a little island, and it is good. It's fabulous. 
uh, to be here now in this place. And that brings us to the fourth rhythm. We're exploring what it means to, to be in the present. And here's what I love about this one. Here's what I love about the rhythm of being present. Uh, it's such a gift uh, to be able to slow down or in some cases, as my friend Eugene Peterson uh, said, uh, to come to a full stop. To do that is the gift of life and more life. If you've been tracking along the way um, with me here in these rhythms, you know that each rhythm has a, a guiding narrative. And this rhythm, this one I'm telling you, this one is absolutely full of good stuff. And in order to open this up for us, I'm going to break this rhythm down into a series of smaller parts, a number of episodes. And I don't know how many. We'll just keep going and see what uh, what happens. But along the way, over these next uh, couple of weeks, I want to talk about several things. I want to talk about the gift of the present, what it means to be here, fully here, what it means to arrive, uh, to show up, to be aware of the gift of the present and available to what it has to teach. I want to talk about the ancient practice of Sabbath and uh, how practicing rituals of Sabbath can lead to deep restoration that opens uh, doors to thriving lives. Uh, how rituals can actually provide ways of giving us uh, finite handles uh, on the infinite. Um, and then in a subsequent uh, episode, I want to talk about what it means to seek margin and why seeking some margin, actually going after some space, provides room for life to begin again. I want to talk about welcoming silence and how one square inch on the planet um, known as the quietest place on earth translates into some wisdom for wherever we find ourselves. And I want to talk about pausing to listen and the wisdom of Frederick Buechner's insistence that we listen to our lives uh, so that we can see it for the fathomless mystery that it is. I want to talk about the mystery of thin space, and I want to tell you a positively marvelous story about a powerful encounter I had with something that I can only describe as the veil between heaven and earth and how it got very, very thin for me. Uh, this story is going to blow your mind. It blew my mind. And then I want to talk about what happens when we immerse ourselves in the present moment uh, and how uh, the risks and wonders of stepping into that place uh, have so much uh, to teach us. So... Um, that's a little bit about where we're going. So let's think a little bit about being present. Let's slow down a bit and think about what it means to show up, to to arrive, to be here, fully here, wherever your here is. One of the things that I've had to be particularly aware of uh, in my own life with regard to being present to the present moment is the tendency to always be thinking about the next thing. I can be in the midst of a conversation, a project, even in the middle of giving a message, preaching on a weekend, and um, and my mind jumps ahead to whatever's coming next. Some would refer to this as the monkey mind. 
And for those of uh, uh, who, those of you who who may know about or even study the Enneagram, uh, I'm a seven, uh, known as the enthusiast. And I'm not going to go into too much of that here, uh, but for all kinds of reasons that are baked into who I am and what I'm doing here, my tendency is to often jump ahead to be thinking about what comes next. I think Abraham Lincoln uh, said it best when he said, with the catching ends the pleasure of the chase. It's easy to miss being present to the present moment um, when we finally arrive in it, only to launch into the chasing of the next thing. There's a missing out that happens. And consequently, because I'm thinking about being there in the next moment, I miss some of the deepest joy of being here uh, in this moment. Because I'm always kind of planning what comes next, I miss out on the satisfaction of enjoying what's unfolding right now. So I've had to take a good, honest look at that um, in my life. This is one of my many uh, work areas. I've had to slow way down and even come to a full stop in order to be here right now in this moment. And you know, it takes some work. It takes some concentration, some discipline. But here's how this works uh, with me. Uh, As you and I are talking, I'm reminding myself to do several things. First, to breathe. When I take time to focus on the rhythm of my breathing, that helps me come back to the present moment. Andy Puttycomb is the uh, co-founder and the host of Headspace, the meditation app, one of them. Uh, one of the meditation apps that I use, and he's taught me how to how uh, focusing on breathing and specifically the sensation of breath as I inhale, how it moves over the top of my upper lip. When I think about my breathing and what's going on right there, I am more fully in this present moment, uh, completely here. And as I'm doing that. I'm also looking I'm also looking you in the eye really looking not not merely looking at you but looking into you. You know, I know that 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 may sound creepy, but th- these are the uh sort of the m- minute details that help us arrive. So, I breathe. That helps me be in this moment uh to look at you. And second, I savor And this is where being present really gets uh, a lot of its mojo. As you uh, are talking with me, I'm trying not to think about where you're going with your conversation. Instead of me trying to manage the destination of your train of thought, I just let myself be the passenger in the conversation. I'm along with you for the ride. I'm savoring what you are saying. I just uh, let your words roll out of you and then I hold them. I hear them, I listen to them, I savor them. And when I catch myself formulating my next statement, as you're still talking, I pull way back and try to come to that full stop that Eugene talked about. Like I said, being present to the present moment takes some work. It's not our natural bent. But being present to the present allows uh, us to experience things differently. We hear differently, we see differently, we touch, we taste, we smell things differently. And this is an invitation 
to be different, an invitation to be awake, to be aware, to be available to what's going on right here, right now in this moment. And it's in this moment of awakening, coming to a deeper awareness and availability is what's actually happening, um, uh, what's happening right here. When we do that, we experience life and more life. And of course, I have a story about that. A number of years ago, I was officiating uh, at a burial at Fort Snelling National Cemetery in Bloomington, Minnesota. It was winter. It was cold. And I was with a family in the midst of their grief as they, as they mourned the death of their loved one. The honor ceremony included the color guard, the rifle volleys, the, the folding and the presentation of the flag, and a, and, a, and a bugle player playing taps. And when they had finished, I stepped in to lead the service of committal. I read scripture, I prayed, and I blessed the family on their way with a, with a benediction. But in the moments that followed... I stepped away from the crowd and just waited for the family to gather their belongings before making their way back to their cars. And that's when I noticed, some distance away, a young woman by herself moving among the grave markers. And she appeared to be looking for something. Something There, there was a, a certain intensity about her movements that indicated that she wasn't simply strolling in the cemetery on this frigid day. She was looking for something. She was looking for a grave. So I watched her for a minute or so, but then I sensed that I should see if I could give her some help. And as I walked toward her, I excused myself and and said that she looked like she might need some help. Was there something, anything that I could do for her? Well, she looked right at me and a broken countenance spread across her face. And then as she began to weep, she told me that she was looking for her dad. Her father had died several weeks before, and she had been waiting for word about the scheduling of his burial. And in all of the communication, she had either missed that or hadn't been notified of her dad's burial. And so on this day, she was here in this cemetery, wandering this vast cemetery by herself, looking for her dad's grave marker, trying to find some closure to this deeply painful time and this turn of events. So I asked her for his name, and together the two of us began to search for her father's grave. Back and forth we went among the rows and the section uh, of the cemetery. And then several moments later I heard her gasp, and I looked up and I saw her with her hands over her mouth, and she stood looking down at a grave with the name of her father etched in the smooth white marble marker. And as I walked toward her, she just wept. And then as I stepped toward her and I put my hand on my shoulder, this complete stranger turned toward me and fell into my arms. And I just held her there in that moment. And finally, through her tears, she said, Thank you for being here with me. Thank you for being here for me. Well, I learned a few things that day. I learned that being present both in that moment and to what that moment offered set off a series of of movements for me that has led me to a kind of thriving that I hadn't known before. Those moments with this complete stranger could easily have been missed had I not been willing to be present. 
Now, I'm not trying to toot my own uh, my own horn here, but uh, uh, enough missed opportunities through the years, um, if we're willing to learn from them, can lead us to a kind of awakening. And that's what happened for me. For me, there was a, a there was a moment of awakening. I was awakening to a need, a purpose, an opportunity to be present in that present moment, and consequently present in that young woman's life story. I was awakening to the possibility of bringing blessing uh, into the life of another person. Never mind that I didn't even know her, and that began to awaken all kinds of things for me. Awakening to that moment, I then became aware that I was, in that moment, on some very, very sacred ground. And because I was on sacred ground and awakening to that, there was a deeper level of of, of uh, bringing my attention to the present. Kind of like focusing on the breath as I inhale through my nose, I can become aware of it as it crosses my upper lip. This awareness then allowed me to become available available to this person um, and bringing the gifts and abilities that I have to bear in the situation that would unfold in the next moments. And then finally, awakened, aware, and available to the important moments that were unfolding. And with the gift of being fully present, I was arriving. I was arriving. And there's a fabulous Hebrew word for this. The word is Hanani, and I've talked about this before in earlier podcasts. I've I've been so captivated with this ancient Hebrew word Hanani. And the word is actually made up of two Hebrew words, Hine and Ni, which means here I am. The roots of this word run deep and go way back to the book of Genesis, back to the 22nd chapter. Hanani appears nearly 200 times in the in the ancient scriptures, but none more powerfully than in the ancient story of Abraham and his son Isaac. When God calls out to Abraham, Abraham answers, Hanani, here I am. And with that, Abraham is saying, I am here now, in this moment, ready to do whatever you say. Later in the Hebrew Scriptures, in the book of Exodus, chapter 3, verse 4, Moses hears a voice calling to him from a burning bush. The voice says, Moses, Moses, and Moses answers immediately, Heneni, here I am, in chapter 3, verse 4 of Exodus. Later in Isaiah 1, uh, Isaiah receives this prophetic calling and a vision in which God says or asks, Whom shall I send? Who will go for us? And Isaiah responds, Hineni, here, I am, send me. Hineni is about being awake. It's about being aware and available and arriving. This is about being present, presenting ourselves so that God can create aliveness in us and bring aliveness through us to the world around us. This is about being present, fully present in this moment, whatever this moment you have. This is about saying, here I am, but not simply um, in the sense of letting someone who calls your name know where you are geographically. It's not like being in a crowded room and having your friend walk in and call out your name and, and you saying, I'm over here in the corner or I'm over here by the buffet table. This is different. This is like having your friend walk into that crowded room, calling out your name 
with a certain kind of urgency to it. And you, when you hear your name called out, you know that you are ready for whatever is next. You're fully ready, willing, able to embrace whatever is coming next. It's saying, here, in this place, is where I am most fully myself. And so there, there is in this, uh, in this word a deeper sense of being where you are spiritually. And in that sense, then, this is about identity. Here, I am in this place, at this moment, right here, right now, fully and completely me. Here I am is about being fully ready to begin It's a bold statement that the people of God used in moments of significant transition or fear or wonder about whatever was coming next. This is a powerful word for people facing transition who are asking, what does it mean to be fully present uh, on the precipice of change in this moment, in in this moment of potential for transition? So... Hineni is about saying, here I am, I'm ready, let's go. It's like a jolt, a reminder not to fall asleep in this because this is your life. And all of a sudden you realize that in your that your own heart is still beating and you're in sync with, with the sacred rhythms that are beating around you and you're part of that and you're saying, here I am, I am ready. So all of that we need to understand doesn't just happen. We don't wake up having that, uh, all of that readily available. We have to be ready or more accurately, I think we need to be made ready. And in order for all of that to get into us, to get inside of us, we've got to make some room for that. And for space to become available for that, some rhythms have to change. If we're going to thrive by being present to the present moment, We'll need to pay attention to the rhythms of Sabbath. So let's think a little bit about the ancient rhythms of Sabbath. Uh, in his book, Working the Angles, The Shape of Pastoral Integrity, uh, pastor, teacher, theologian, and friend Eugene Peterson writes this, Sabbath means to quit, stop, take a breath, cool it. This is, this is hard work for most of us. Our days and half our nights are filled with all manner of noise and activity. So Eugene describes Sabbath as uncluttered time and space to distance ourselves from the frenzy of our own activities so we can see in what God has been and is doing. Sabbath keeping, he continues, is the act of quieting the internal noise so we hear the still small voice of our Lord. Removing the distractions of pride so we discern the presence of Christ. The practice of Sabbath is a regular time to cease striving in the familiar. Uh, If not familiar rhythms of our daily and nightly lives, then in the ancient practice that goes back to the very beginning. So rooted deeply in the ancient Hebrew scriptures, there's what we can call a kind of six and one rhythm, uh, a six days of activity, of movement, of creating, and one day of Sabbath resting. This six and one rhythm is uh, what 
I like to call uh, an introduction to the sevens and the Genesis rhythms. And my go-to guy on this is author, speaker, and writer Rob Bell. This is this is quintessential Rob Bell, and he's done some great digging into this. And uh, here's what Rob teaches us, and this is pretty much straight up from Rob. Uh, all the way back uh, in the ancient poem of creation, we find resting as an integral part of the creation rhythms, the seven major rhythms of creation. After six days, on the seventh day, God rested. Uh, now think about this. Think of what you know, what you think you know about God, and consider why God rests. A couple of questions may come to mind. Was, was God weary? Was God tired? Was God spent? Did God get past the sixth day and sit back and say, Sheesh, someone please pour me something cool to drink. I'm just done. No, in the Hebrew scriptures, in the ancient Hebrew stories of creation, the image of God resting is the image that's given to us as a gift to follow, to copy, to do likewise. So there's something central to creation itself about rest. So let's go back to Genesis chapter 1. Uh, and as we know, the ancient Hebrew scriptures open with this poem because some things are just so beautiful and so profound and so mysterious that they don't fit into the literal categories of our language. You have to move to poetry. And that's what I usually refer to as having finite words to describe infinite things. So the Bible actually opens with a giant poem, Genesis 1, 1 through roughly Genesis 2, verse 3, is a poem that just builds and builds and builds, and then it crescendos, and it reaches its creation culmination in this seventh rhythm, the seventh day, which is different from all these other days in the poem, because on this day, God, Spirit, the divine, doesn't do any creating. The divine rests. The whole thing builds up to that moment. And what's fascinating, the word there for rest uh, is the word uh, where we get the word Sabbath, which means to cease or desist. Now here's the point that we don't want to miss. Creation isn't complete without rest. There is no fullness of life without celebration. There's the work, there's the making, there's the creating, the organizing, the designing, but without enjoyment, without celebration, without rest, without the party and the joy in response to everything that was done, you don't have the fullness of creation. So thousands of years ago, these Hebrew poets were insisting that there's something about the nature of the universe itself, that it flows from, that it's driven by, its engine, its culmination, its crescendo, its climax, is rest. Sabbath is ceasing, a ceasing from striving, uh, from the ceasing from the sweat, the ceasing from the effort, and it is unbridled celebration. And not only that, there's more. And this is so ingenious. Uh, ingenious. Uh, th th this thing that that's going on here under the surface with regard uh, to some numbers. And for those of you who like patterns, uh, you'll find this absolutely amazing. Let, let me just a sidebar show you this. Um, in Genesis 1.1, 1, 1, 
in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That word, that verse has seven words in it. And those seven words have 28 letters, which is seven times four. Chapter one, verse two has 14 words in it. That's seven times two. The first three Hebrew words there um, in the Hebrew text, the sentence that translates into English, in the beginning God created, those three Hebrew words have 14 letters between them. That's seven times two. Chapter two, verses one through three, the whole section on Sabbath is made up of 35 words, which is seven times five. The word earth in the creation poem is mentioned 21 times. That's seven times three. The word God is mentioned 35 times. That's seven times five. The phrase, uh, the heavens, uh, also called the firmament, occurs 21 times, which is seven times three. And in the phrase, God made and it was so, the phrase, it was so, occurs seven times. And the phrase, it was good, occurs seven times. So with these patterns of seven, we discover that this poem is rather intricately arranged in patterns of seven and repeating patterns of seven. And by the way, in the entire Hebrew scriptures, the number seven occurs 287 times, which is seven times 41. The word seventh occurs 98 times, which is seven times 14. The phrase sevenfold occurs seven times. And the number 70 occurs 56 times, which is seven times eight. And so I think it's safe to say, as our friend Rob would say, that, that, that the number seven is fairly significant. And so in in its original context, this whole poem and the whole structure of this creation poem and the number patterns that are in it would have, for the original hearers and readers, would have been wildly obvious. They, have, they would have understood that the poem, in, in the beginning God created, and the earth uh, was, was surrounded in darkness and void, and the spirit hovered over the waters. They would have heard seven, 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 seven. And this seven refers to the fullness of and the vitality of creation itself. And seven is the number which essentially brings us to rest and completion. And so there's something about the way that these ancient people understood the nature of practicing Sabbath that was a rest. It was celebration, rejuvenation, renewal regeneration. And so if we don't take time to dial it back, to slow down, and as Eugene Peterson so famously wrote, to come to a full stop, we could just miss all of it. Sabbath is something that God did in order to show us a still more excellent way. And that way of Sabbathing allows us a way of showing up to be present for, to arrive at the present moment, so that practicing these rhythms, we can experience lives that thrive here, now, in this place. And doing that, we discover our truest, fullest 
deepest and widest, most God-breathed, God-blessed selves. So that, my friends, is my story, and I'm sticking to it. That's enough for now. A bit about being present to the present moment and Sabbath. We'll be pressing on next time as we pull apart what it means to thrive in the present as people who practice rhythms of Sabbath, seek margin, welcome silence, pause to listen, and press into thin places, and immerse in what each moment has to teach. You can uh, follow me on this uh, on the website, paulgaucher.com. You can also tap into what I'm doing on Instagram with um, 100 Days, 50 Words. Uh, thanks, as always, to a great team of people who make this happen. Uh, you know who you are, Lisa and Darren. Thanks to you guys. Thanks to the guys in the Snarky Puppy Band. And, uh, and now a blessing. Dear friends, as you move through this day, May you discover what it means to thrive as a child of God, being present to the present moment and finding life and more life as you practice rhythms of Sabbath, seek margin, welcome silence, pause to listen, press into thin spaces, and immerse in what each moment has to teach. And remember the words of Thomas Burton, happiness is not a matter of intensity, but of balance, order, rhythm, and harmony. Thanks, everyone. Thanks for listening. We'll meet you back here soon.